Welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. Not going to lie, that was a beefy week. We almost, Rex, we almost did an emergency podcast last Friday. Probably should have, didn't. And so we are jam-packing it all into this one. We're talking, of course, Roy McIlroy and Patrick Reed, the duel in the Dubai Desert. We're talking the trajectory of Max Homa became the king of Cali with another win, the Farmers Insurance Open. We'll break down the live preseason event, essentially. The Saudi International, which is drawing some familiar names as well as some intriguing ones. Rex, this is the rare time we're both home this week. So what stood out to you over the past week as you were just chomping at the bit uh, so to much. the action this week? And, and normally I don't go down this road because that seemed like whatever, and we'll get into it more, whatever happened between Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed on the range in Dubai seemed like such high school sophomore nonsense, right? When you kind of look at it from the outside and sort of trying to figure out the dynamics between these two individuals. And I didn't want to go down that road where now all of a sudden we're TMZ. Like I wanted to try to avoid that. However, now that in retrospect, we had everything that happened and between Patrick Reed making a run at Rory, who ended up winning and called it emotional and called it one of the greatest victories of his career. Cause he was able to shut out all the noise to toughest. Didn't say greatest. He said tough, toughest uh, to Patrick Reed having another four, rule snafu. Four majors are probably greater. Uh, I, I would think so. Um, to, uh, Patrick Reed having another rules snafu, which, by the way, if you haven't gone onto social media and saw Brandel Chambly break this down like this is a brutal film, you, you're just not living life. I, I don't know <laughs> just what you're doing. Forensic detail. Oh, my. I mean, it was frame by frame by frame, and there was someone on that grassy knoll, and I'm not quite sure if it was Patrick Reed or Roy McElroy or who it was. There was so much that went into this, and it, among all of that, on Saturday, kind of quietly, you had, uh, I think, one of the coolest finish of this young PGA Tour season. I was rooting, full disclosure here, Sam Ryder is from the 32779. That would be Longwood, Florida. That would be my neighborhood. He's my son's favorite player. I like Sam a lot. I was rooting for him. I know we're not supposed to root. I was rooting for the story, not the player. And a little heartbroken, but the way it played out, I thought was very, very cool. It's sort of sort of a background context of what was a crazy week in professional golf. Yeah, we were going to have Cole Hoggard call into the podcast. Uh, he just week. went to play golf. I tried to talk him into hanging around. He wasn't doing it. He yeah, wasn't having uh, it. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that Sam Ryder story uh, ended about nine holes uh, a little too late for him. Let's, let's talk, Rex. Let's, let's start first. With the T-Toss. I know this is, at this point, old news. Video emerged two days after the incident. It was, there was nothing. There was nothing here. It was a lighthearted moment. Clearly, Roy McIlroy was showing his disgust. I think both players probably erred in this situation by airing their grievances publicly and trading barbs in the press. Roy uh, clearly got some of the facts mixed up. I can see how it was. It wasn't Patrick Reed who was suing Rory. It was one of Reed's lawyers, Larry Clayman, in a separate antitrust lawsuit case still the optics of that were obviously not great getting served a subpoena on christmas eve and then patrick reed just couldn't help himself calling rory an immature little child and saying if he's going to act like one he deserves to be treated Mm. like one who was most wrong in this scenario because they were i i think i think both probably were a little bit out of bounds but who was most wrong in the situation Oh, oh, Patrick Reed. I mean, and, and but look, he's not alone here, and I'm I'm probably going to be in the minority because I am going to go out on a limb and not defend Patrick Reed, but I certainly have seen where he and his like come from, and I don't mean that in a negative tone. Look, they're tone deaf. If you don't understand why what you did walking away has impacted the PGA Tour, and especially Rory McIlroy, of all people, he has been the most passionate, the most outspoken, the most ardent 
op- uh, opponent of Live Golf. If you don't understand that maybe that's not a good exchange, walking up to him on the range, then you're, you're kind of tone deaf. You're living your life in sort of a bubble, and you, you need to understand it a little bit better. Now, the T-Toss was silly. I mean, I just don't – I didn't even think that Patrick Reed had that good of a sense of humor. So I was actually kind of impressed that he was even able to pull that through off. The, the through the Live-branded tee. The Live-branded tee. But here's the deal, and this is why – Having been at the row at the tour finale for Live Golf last year, the vast majority, not all of them, certainly Harold Varner is the exception, and there's a few others, but the vast majority of players who went to Live Golf don't understand the animosity. They don't understand why there's this vitriol from the PGA Tour perspective looking back. And it has a lot to do with the lawsuits. You pointed out Rory got subpoenaed on Christmas Eve. No one's going to like that. To your point, he kind of got his lawsuits mixed, and I can tell you, as someone who's digging through there's court so files, lawsuits. there's so many lawsuits. There's so many lawsuits. Everybody's he, getting subpoena. How could, how could he keep them all straight? I mean, it, this is a visual medium, but trust me when I tell you, everybody's getting subpoenaed. It's happening. It. No one is not getting subpoenaed. There was just a discovery dispute this week in the case in San uh, San uh, Jose, where. Live Golf wanted to subpoena every member at Augusta, and they had to come up with some sort of compromise. And now it's going to be about two dozen members of Augusta. If you haven't gotten subpoenaed, then you haven't been paying attention. There is probably remember, one in the mail for you. I remember last week on this podcast, I mentioned that this reported incident with Roy McIlroy and Patrick Reed on the range. You don't even want to. You didn't even want to mention Patrick Reed's name. I didn't even want to go on there. this podcast. Still don't want to go there. And that's why I'm kind of, and again, I don't want to get into a habit of defending Patrick Reed because we'll get into the other stuff that kind of went on. For him to call someone's else, someone else's behavior childish, again, that's living your life in an echo chamber. I mean, have some sort of self-awareness because in this particular case, you shouldn't have done it. I will say, however, and you and I can debate this, if it's DJ, if it's Dustin Johnson walking up to Rory on that range in Dubai, that's an entirely different scenario. I don't think I'm out of bounds saying this. By all accounts... Those, that group of players still kind of mix in the same circles in South Florida. I don't, I'm not saying they're sharing a table at the woods, but it's, there is not that animosity between DJ and Rory is probably the best example. They're still sponsored by the same sponsor. They still do commercials together. So this is, this is a Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy thing. I don't think it's a very good indication of a PGA Tour live golf thing. Very pricey appetizers at the woods uh, if you have not been. Uh, but it that is. certainly is so is is besides the point. I, Patrick Reed look wants to be liked. That's been one of the uh, predominant characteristics of his entire career. He desperately wants to be liked and isn't quite sure how to go around it. And, and these two, look, they've sparred at the Ryder Cup, obviously, with that memorable singles match uh, in 2016. They went head-to-head at the Masters in 2018 with Patrick Reed getting the upper hand there. Roy McIlroy has actually gone out of his way to defend Patrick Reed and some of these uh, rules and fractions over the past couple of years. There was reason to think that maybe they're not the best of friends, but there's certainly a mutual respect between those two players. I, I think, yeah, you're, you're right. This was Patrick Reed wanting to be liked, and it was Patrick Reed being oblivious of the situation and not understanding um, kind of the, the underlying subplots of these lawsuits and what it means. So that was the T-toss, and Roy McIlroy and Patrick Reed kind of went into the tournament feeling like, they had something to prove, and, and both of them played pretty well. Roy certainly didn't have his best stuff, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But Patrick Reed um, hadn't really showed anything uh, for much of 2022, didn't win a live event, uh, didn't factor in any of the major championships, and this was kind of the spark that he needed to find something in his game. And then Rex came yet another rules incident. Well, it was a very long line of rules incident. If you guys didn't see it, if you somehow did not see this Patrick Reed 
tee shot on the drivable 17th in the third round got lodged in one of the palm trees. Which palm tree uh, is a matter of some debate. However, a rules official corroborated Patrick Reed saying that he could see the markings of his own golf ball in the tree, was allowed to drop it there with an unplayable, ended up making bogey as opposed to going back to the tee and hitting three, potentially making double and dropping even further back. Did you have any sense, Rex, any opinion on whether Patrick Reed uh, was playing by the rules or whether he was trying to get away with something here? Not after Brandel Chambly broke that down. I mean, at first, I sort of dismissed it because this happens. I mean, it seems like it happens to Patrick Reed a lot. But this happens on the PGA Tour on a daily basis. I mean, there are situations like this where players are having to try to figure out. According to Patrick Reed, that was his ball, one, quote, 100%. He was that certain. 100% sure. So if you're, the, if you're the rules official, you don't have another option in that scenario. There's no way for you to overrule that, even in the heat of the moment. This goes back to Toy Pines just a few years ago when it was again. Patrick Reed and his ball bounced and then somehow it was embedded. Now, it turned out that Roy had the exact same situation on the 18th hole that exact same day at Torrey Pines. It, it's to be to label a player a cheat in golf. And I'm not doing that to Patrick Reed. Please let that go on the record. Let me be crystal clear about this. I am not labeling Patrick Reed a cheat. However, that is a label that doesn't wash off easily. And he continues to find himself on the wrong side of this. Yeah, he's probably lost the benefit of the doubt, and any sure. sort of rules incident is going to be under heightened scrutiny because it is Patrick Reed. If this was Max Homa who was involved in this incident, it's, it's probably a non-issue because he yeah. has a reputation uh, for playing within the boundaries of the game. Patrick Reed, uh, fairly or not, uh, has lost that benefit of the doubt. The question I still have, and it was not answered uh, by a DP World Tour official, they, I mean, they came out uh, with a clarification afterward, was did Patrick Reed tell... The rules official, hey, we're looking for a Titleist 3 with the black line on it, with the arrow and the red dot, and then the rules official goes ahead and puts the binoculars on and tries to find the ball? Or was it, here's, a, here's some binoculars, see if you can find your ball. Finds the ball, yep. Yep, 100%, see, that's mine. I, I see one with a, with, a, with a black arrow and a red dot. That has not been uh, resolved. That has not been answered. That's the, que- that's the main question that I have. And certainly... Video footage, Kalai. I, I saw the uh, the breakdown of Randall Chambly having go, going into forensic detail with this. I s- still think there's a little bit of ambiguity which tree the ball actually went into. It's not out of the realm of possibility that the ball, uh, at the, the camera angle, was misleading in this particular scenario. I would have liked to hear whether the rules official, hey, what are we looking for here? Looking for the arrow, the red dot. Go ahead and look in the tree. So that's, that's a question I have uh, right now, which is why... Uh, I'm kind of wishy-washy on uh, whether he was fair or not. Here's the deal. I, I don't care if it was his ball. I really don't. Because it seems to me, and in, in this was an NBA game, right? Everyone would be screaming, ball, don't lie. Because that's, that, that's what happens, right? So if you feel like that a player got a call that they probably shouldn't have got, it usually evens itself out. I think in this case, you could even make the argument that it evens itself out. Rory ended up winning. Patrick Reed did, did not end up winning. However, big... can, you, can you imagine, Rex, the howling that would have occurred had... Oh. Those two players gotten into a playoff or Patrick had won by a single shot. Uh, and this was still very much in question of what transpired in that palm tree. That, that goes to my very next point. I'm here for all of it. This makes me look forward to the major championship, certainly the Masters, where there will be live players in the field. We already know that. We're not 100% sure what's going to happen at the PGA Championship. But going forward, when these two groups get together, if this is going to be the status quo, if the animosity is now going to replace whatever it was in golf that made sort of this genteel sport suddenly become 
this, I'm not even going to shake your hand. Okay, fine. I'm going to throw a T at you. That's where we're going to end up. Give me all of it. Like, I cannot wait to get to the Masters on Monday and watch them on the range. All of them. Phil, Rory, JT, Jordan, DJ. Like, if this is what's going to become of golf, if we're going to become the WWE, here for all of it. So that is my next question. And so, spoiler alert, Roy, Roy went on to win, birdied the last two holes. We'll get into to Roy McIlroy. to give that away? Uh, and his season open victory. However, Rex, there is a hearing in the UK next week mm-hmm. to determine the fate the of the live players and whether those live rebels can continue to play on the DP World Tour or whether the European Tour can ban them and thus make them ineligible for the Ryder Cup. In your opinion, should Keith Pelly secretly be hoping <laughs> that they lose this case? Because the presence of live golfers in these tournaments makes these events infinitely more interesting i'm not privy to uh the viewership numbers i have no idea whether this uh, rated well it was in dubai uh, with a serious time change but it was monday time zone. i, I, I would love to know the I numbers on that, that monday finish yeah but look it's also ending at 6 a.m uh on the east coast it makes these events infinitely more interesting than having the presence of these live golfers if you take those names off the leaderboard if you take patrick reed if you take ian poulter henrik stenson all those guys, Richard Bland, all those guys factor prominently in this golf tournament. If you remove them from this leaderboard, it's another ho-hum event on the DB World Tour, and Roy McIlroy wins easily by three shots, and no one particularly cares. Live guys are making the DP World Tour more interesting. Do you think he's kind of hoping selfishly for his tournament's sake, for interest in his tournaments? I don't think that they're he... allowed to continue playing. I don't think Keith is because, look, he's he's in this. I mean, again, named in multiple lawsuits. He has chosen the PGA Tour as his side. They're, they're the establishment. They're, they're the ones that Live Golf is coming after. So I don't think it's Live, but I can guarantee you the BMWs and the Volvos and the other sponsors of these DP World Tour events, certainly DP World, love this idea because all it is is getting more and more eyeballs, eyeballs that you would probably never have otherwise. And, again, I know, I, I've said this before. I'm not going to try to – predict what any court is going to do by all accounts talking with a couple of experts in the uk unlike the court case in san jose this is a hearing that could very very easily go the live players way it's different laws it's different outlooks it's different sensitivities this is about being able to work freely and that this is it they look at these things much different than probably we do here in the united states so this could very easily go live golf's way by all accounts internally if it does the dp world tour is ready to blow up what is their essentially their constitution change their constitution and make it easier for them to suspend these players that remains to be seen however you're right i I don't think keith or anyone who's at at whitewater at, at their headquarters is thinking to themselves, oh, okay, yeah, this is what I want to happen, but I guarantee the sponsors love the idea. And we'll certainly talk through the ramifications of that hearing. It's supposed to begin uh, next week. And look, it's not just the fact that live players would remain eligible or not uh, for the Ryder Cup. It remains to be seen whether Luke Donald would even pick one of these players, uh, assuming they do not uh, qualify. But it's also an avenue then for the live players to continue to, to receive world ranking points. And so if the majors do not uh, change their qualification criteria for the top 50, top 60, whatever their particular major is, this is a way that the Patrick Reeds, the Ian Poulters, the Lee Westwoods of the world can continue to stay afloat. And and look, those guys, if they want to, uh, would be then having a tournament schedule that consists of 25, 30 events to go along with the 14 live tournaments 
and the four majors as well as some on the European tour. But what do you think this win, Rex, means for Roy? This is the first time we'd seen him in two months. It bears repeating for as much attention as John Rahm's hot start to the 2023 calendar year on the PGA Tour has gone. I mean, Roy has not finished outside the top four since the Tour Championship at Eastlake in late August. This was a guy who was on an absolute heater. He just so happened to shut it down for the final two months of 2022. This was certainly not his best stuff, but I think it's also quite revealing that he was able to win uh, what was a pretty stacked field without his best stuff. And to hear him talk before the tournament, just about, I mean, we could all kind of surmise and guess how exhausting last season was for him, both on and off the golf course. I mean, to, to, to do what you do on the golf course and to do what he did off the golf course, to be that spokesperson, to be the lightning rod, to want all of the heat, I, I think it's almost impossible, at least for me, to sort of wrap my mind around how consuming is that. I have a hard time waking up in the morning and, and puddling around my house, let alone dealing with these issues and then trying to play golf at the highest level. And he kind of gave voice to that last week. And so for him, and again, two months off, that's that's going to give anybody sort of a, a fresh outlook on life. But for him to come back after that and to do this, remember last week when we sat and we talked about the world ranking and how the math was messed up and John Rahm was mad. Ah, simpler times. I mean, they're clearly the best two players in the world. Like they have almost identical scoring averages over their past seven starts. They John Rahm has one more win, four as opposed to Rory's three, but like they have the same number of top five finishes. The scoring average is almost identical. These two yeah. players have clearly separated themselves at the top of the world order. Which is going to make I mean some once we get into whatever the quote unquote designated season is, elevated season, it's going to make that much more fascinating. Because now you're going to get these two together. Hashtag elevated season. Elevated which, which season. begins which begins next week. The Phoenix right, in Phoenix, um, which w- is already a really good event, and now you're turning it into something even bigger. So it remains to be seen how these changes are going to impact kind of the rest of the tour, but certainly with a scenario where you have these two players, and then you factor in, it's not as though Scotty Scheffler is playing bad. It's not as though Colin Morikawa is playing bad, or any of the rest of them are playing poorly. These two have separated themselves, but it creates a scenario that is really going to be entertaining over the next few weeks. You mentioned the burden that Rory uh, assumed in 2022, much of his own making. And, and look, I, I understand he probably had more conference calls and more player-to-player interactions uh, that, that took away potentially from some of his preparation time. But to me, I also think it was motivating. I think it was crystallizing. I think there was a sense that he wanted to back up uh, his play with all of his words. And look, he said he, said he expended a lot of energy when he used to buy Dutch Classic. Certainly more energy than he was anticipating in what was his first first time in his career. Uh, even though he's always started hot out of the gates, it's the first time that he's won in his career. But I still think there's going to be that sense that he's not just protecting his world ranking, but he's protecting his tour. He's protecting his fellow peers. He's protecting kind of the brand and the legacy uh, that he is trying to make uh, in the world of golf. And so uh, this was one step. and I don't see Roy McIlroy taking a step back at all in 2023 as the burden is not going to get any lighter. I do want to give Rex a shout out to Patrick Reed because this guy absolutely thrives amid controversy. How he's able to compartmentalize the circus that he creates around him and excel in between the ropes is unbelievable. Think about the 2018 masters and there was a subplot there uh, with his parents uh, not being able to watch on the grounds at Augusta National. That was in 2018. The 2019 hero uh, performed well 
uh, despite the bunker issue there. A, a week later at the President's Cup, um, his his caddy got kicked out, remember? And then in singles, Patrick I was Reed told robbed. by team members in the U.S. team room, and this is a quote, quote unquote, he was a cancer on that team right. room. Right. So he was a cancer in the team room. And then what does he do? He routes his opponent in Sunday singles and was at least a contributing factor for the American comeback on the final day at Royal Melbourne. Who could forget the Farmers Insurance Open where he was poking around in the rough with what was an embedded lie? He went on to win Rex by five shots. Everyone was up in arms that there may have been uh, something nefarious going on in that tangly uh, rough at Torrey Pines. And yet all he does is go on to win by five shots. Then you have Teagate. Then you have Treegate, and Patrick Reed shoots 65 on the final round and nearly st- steals the Dubai title. Like, the guy is absolutely incredible. It, 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 almost makes, it almost makes you wonder, like, is he doing it on purpose so that it kind of brings out his best golf? Guys get chips on their shoulders in various ways. Brooks Kepka uh, famously did so in golf over the past half decade, half decade or so. Like, Patrick Reed absolutely loves the drama, and it seems to bring out his best golf. I think it, and this goes to other athletes in other sports, right? My mind immediately goes to Michael Jordan. In retrospect, when you listen to that Hall of Fame speech that he gave, you realize that, oh, MJ was motivated by very, very negative things. Like, he took everything as a slight, even things. Very unsavory Hall of Fame speech. Like, the worst, worst speech yeah. ever? Uh, it seemed like he, he came out swinging for no, a lot of, a lot of people caught strays in that, that speech that probably didn't deserve to catch strays simply because he took some shots at people that, that they weren't trying to be negative. They were just, telling a story and as i guess as a journalist i'm going to be a little defensive here but you see the exact same thing and patrick reed where he thrives on this negative sort of outcome idea i've been around him when things are going fine when he's playing well and there aren't these distractions and it doesn't seem to focus him like he seems to get focused i mean last week was going to be different uh, at, at the very least for all of the live players anytime they show up at one of these DP World Tour events, certainly when they show up at the major championships, they know the spotlight's going to be on them. They're going to continue to get the questions. The narrative's not going to go away. So it's going to be a little uncomfortable, and most of them don't like it. I've spoken with Richard Bland. It's probably a perfect example. Graham McDowell is probably even a better example, where he hates it. Non-confrontational hates... fellas. Absolutely. Exactly. Motivated by very, very positive things. If my game's going in the right way, if my life at home is going in the right way, everything else moves in the right way. I would say Max Homa, your winner at Torrey Pines, is the exact same thing. I mean, here's a guy that loves to have the smile on his face, lo- loves to be motivated by positive things. Patrick Reed's not like that. And you can see that. I, I mean, I don't think it's a knock to compare him. To MJ, and you can probably make the same argument. Kevin Durant seems to me kind of the same kind of guy. You don't have ghost Twitter accounts if you're not motivated by negative things because you want to get in there and you want to fight with the unseen masses. I think Patrick is the exact same person. Patrick Reed and Michael Jordan, you just compared them. That is uh, the first time in podcast history. I would probably use like a Draymond Green that, Jordan. Uh, comparison that. Uh, as opposed to MJ, but your point Remains. You did bring up Max Homa, the winner at the Farmers Insurance Open with a Saturday finish. You and I have both stumped for four consecutive Saturday finishes. Uh, still hearing back from um, Tour HQ whether that will be considered uh, for 2024. But look, Max Homa is all the way up now, Rex, to six PGA Tour wins. I wrote about this a little bit uh, on Monday Scramble on GolfChannel.com. What's striking to me is the duality of his golf personas. There is this self-aware funny man who away from the golf course, you and I have both spent a lot of time with him in interview settings. Like there are, you can count on one hand, the number of players who are potentially better interviews than Max Homa. He is top three, uh, if not the best in all of golf. 
And yet inside the ropes, especially when you get him in contention, like the dude is an absolute stone cold assassin. I understand that he does not put himself in position to win as much as a Rom or a Rory or a Scotty or a Kawamurakawa. But you think about this stat, Rex. Max Homa has nine top three finishes on the PGA Tour. Six have gone for wins. In other words, when this dude sniffs contention, if he even has an inkling that he might win the golf tournament, he's going to go and seize it. That is an incredible attribute to have as an athlete. And I just find it jarring. I find it striking uh, that he's able to have these two personas, which you wouldn't think that this funny man on social media or this guy who's deeply introspective and maybe even a little bit insecure about his golfing talent, who when he gets a chance to win, uh, he absolutely goes for the jugular. You're calling him a closer. Let's say it. He absolutely is a closer. Like you don't, you don't think of Max Homa as one of the game's predominant, uh, preeminent closers. You think of JT, you think of Rom, Tiger, um, Tiger, obviously uh, back in his heyday, but like Max Homa's closing rate is exceptional. That's pretty impressive. I, I didn't know if that. He's, if I he's, didn't know if that he's there, like if he if he's there, he's going to slam the door. No, that's very good. And and I I would say, and we've made sort of this connection before. I think it was Scotty Scheffler who two years ago, uh, coming out of the Ryder Cup, and he used sort of that performance and that experience to sort of propel him to what he did early last year in the spring, went on that dominant run. I can imagine that Max is going to do a similar thing because I think being on that team last year at Quail Hollow, and it was a best case scenario. For a guy like Max Homer, because he didn't have to be the star. The The American team was stacked. It's not as though he showed up and realized that, oh, I, I might be a rookie, but I'm going to have to win three points for us to have any kind of chance. And yet he came out and performed. I mean, he turned into one of the American studs last year at Quail Hollow. He had that, he had that clinching putt. I think it was on Friday, Friday yeah. or Saturday, when he, you know, the clutch putt on top of uh, one of the international players. Like that, that was like a, a seminal moment for the American win. And I don't think it carries with it the same cachet that maybe having that same sort of performance in the Ryder Cup would have simply because of, of it's a much more relaxed atmosphere. We talk about this all the time. But I don't think you can ignore the idea that if you put a player in a situation and the pressure is very real, whether if it's manufactured or if it's not, he's going to make it very, very real internally. I mean, he spoke openly at Quail Hollow about how nervous he was and how he really wanted to perform well. To be able to do that, under the gun, on command, I don't think we can, we can say how important that is for a player. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes on a little run. I'm not going to say he's going to go on a Scotty Scheffler run because he hasn't proven to be that consistent week in and week out, but I'm not going to be surprised if he adds seven, eight. You know, I mean, if he adds PGA Tour wins number seven and eight very, very soon. But I mean, he's, oh, he's, getting, to the point, he's, getting, he's getting to the point now where he has won you know, a, a, a tenth of his, his PGA Tour starts uh, over the past – year and a half i mean he's got four wins in the past year and a half like the guy has been absolutely tearing it up i think the the obviously the glaring omission in his tour resume and his resume at large is his major championship performance this is a player who yet is yet to have a top 10 finish in a major championship finished t13 last year at the pga championship before that i mean it was absolutely ugly had not finished better than 40th in a major championship to that point with a ton of missed cuts. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. Max Homa, now the player that we see January 31st, 2023 is a markedly improved player through the bag than he was even a couple of years ago. He's last year, he was 13th on the PJ tour in strokes gain total. He does absolutely everything well. And that was not the case 
a couple of years ago. But it's gotten to the point now that if Max Homa doesn't get himself in contention for a major championship, I'm not saying he has to win one. I'm not saying he has to finish in the top three. I'm not saying he has to finish in the top five. But if he does not have a top ten at the very least in a major championship in 2023, I would find that to be uh, extremely disappointing for a player of his caliber. It needs to get to the point now where, you know, he, he improved on his championship record last year. This year he takes it the next step and gets kind of on the fringes of contention. Right. And then you could see in 2024 that, that this player uh, could win one. Although LACC has certainly been circled for a player of Max Homa's record 61 there uh, about a decade ago, holds the course record and also won the PAC 12 championship uh, back when he played for Cal. Okay, before you went on your gas baggery, I was about to make fun of you for uh, holding your finger up to your dog as if your dog can understand exactly what the index finger looks like. But no, apparently, there was, a, there, was a, there was a man. No, there was a man who entered, and he uh, he quickly. A strange answered. man entered your house during the podcast. Yeah, one of the one of our uh, workers for the Myriad projects uh, that we have wow. going on in the house. He very, I thought you were in very, trouble. Blink no, three very, times if you're in trouble. Very respectfully uh, exited the house uh, during this <laughs> podcast. Uh, recording. Rex, was there anything else that stood out to you at the Farmers? I, I did want to touch on the in-round walk and talk. Hopefully, hopefully, Rex, Max Homa going on to win a day after. Uh, he he kind of broke some new ground, right, with the in-round walk and talk. It's been uh, kind of a staple of DP World Tour coverage over the past couple of years, but this is the first time on the PJ Tour, at least, that a player popped in an airbud, just as you and I have done here, and let viewers uh, inside the ropes and gaining some valuable insight uh, for an entire hole. It wasn't just kind of a couple mm-hmm. questions and move on. Um, do you think that Max Homa can set a trend here? Do you think uh, the John Roms, the Justin Thomases, the Jordan Spieths will allow uh, either CBS or NBC uh, kind of this inside look at, at what goes on? Uh, what about Golf Channel? Golf Channel can do the same thing. I want to see on Saturday. I want to see on Saturday. I don't want to see a player who's T40. I'll take it on Thursday. I'll take it on Thursday. Uh, I'm going to break the fourth wall here, and Max Homa is the outlier here. The reason he's the he's the the perfect guinea pig for the experiment. There's no doubt he is. But trust me when I tell you, NBC, CBS, Golf Channel, they they, we're not doing this because we don't want to do it. This has been a conversation since I I, since I've been at the Golf Channel, even before, with players internally at player meetings, at pack meetings, at policy board meetings. They don't want to do it. They don't certainly don't want to do it on a Saturday when the the uh, the tension is high. And the stakes are very, very real. Trust that's what we want to watch. We don't, we don't John Rahm is never going to agree time. to that. We want to see it the is hard enough to get him to talk. Well, it's hard enough to get him to talk after a round. You're not going to get him to talk during a round. And look, I'm not being mean to John Rahm. I mean, he, he takes himself very, very seriously, as he should, because he's very, very successful. But no, he's not going to pop in an earbud midway through the round on the 15th hole and suddenly start yakking it up. But hasn't, hasn't Liv Max Golf Homa will. Clear, hasn't Liv Golf over the past year, Rex, made clear that this the PGA Tour is an entertainment product first and foremost, and you need to have more buy-in from PGA Tour players when it comes to making for a better fan experience, even if they're just watching at home. It should be performative. I I agree with you. It should be. I don't know that the PGA Tour is going to take their lead from Liv Goff's productions. I I don't see that happening because, I mean, you can make an argument across the board. The PGA Tour is just not going to do that. Now, what I think is a more, more realistic thing to do, and we see it certainly during the playoffs, during the NFL playoffs, where you're starting to get sound a little bit sooner after the fact, where you're starting to understand exactly what Patrick Mahomes was thinking when it seems like his leg seemed to break in half and somehow he was able to keep playing last week in that, in that game. You sound, uh, you, sound, you sound bitter. Did you have money on the Bengals? 
I, I, yeah, yes, I did. I, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> and I can see somehow broke. is like, nope. It was just no. a lower grade, high ankle spread. But but go here's on. the deal. And I don't pretend to know football, but the one time I saw Patrick Mahomes uh, scramble to his left, he was clearly in pain when he had to plant and throw the ball. So he was he was scrambling to his right the whole time. I don't know anything about football, but I would have spent the whole game as a defensive end trying to get him to scramble to his left because that's where he was weak. Anyway, I digress. The point here is I would like to see more in-game stuff. Well, I want to hear sound, and the players are very protective of that because they don't want to say something that's going to be picked up on live air. They're going to get them in trouble. Certainly that's happened an instance with JT just a couple of years ago. However, I think if you gave them the proper filters, if you gave them the proper assurances that there will be, there will be no airing of bad things, that we just want to catch sort of the raw, what was your response after this putt? What was your response after this drive? I think that would be cool, but I can't imagine anytime soon we're getting to a point where Max Homa is, is the norm, not the exception. Yeah, it certainly sounded like Mac, afterward Max Homa said that he's been having these conversations with Andy Pazzer at the tour for the past couple of months and how to properly execute this. I'm sure that Andy Pazzer has had other conversations with the game's mm-hmm. top players in trying to make this sort of thing happen. Now, I think Max was um, a, a special circumstance, and I thought it was incredible the, that he was literally going back and forth with Trevor Immelman in the CBS booth. I could understand that most players would be apprehensive about that. And look, there's a lot of downtime. He's playing a par five. You're waiting on the tee. You're walking up to, to go find your 325-yard drive. You're waiting for the green to clear. You're then walking to go get your second shot. Like, I get it. A, a par five is a perfect time to do that. Even if they didn't have the back and forth with the booth, just having the player mic'd, for a hole, I think Saturday's the perfect time to do it. He was in the perfect situation at the time. He was like ninth, I think. Well, Saturday, Sunday, kind of, being, being yeah, the final kind of, round. Yeah, kind of, kind of on the, the fringes. Yeah, exactly. Sorry about the date. Uh, on the fringes of contention, it was the absolute perfect scenario. I don't want to see the fourth hole on Thursday because the, the players are just getting into their rounds. Like, I want to hear what it's like. In no, the but it could be entertaining. For, for a guy trying to I disagree to make with charge. you. I think it could be entertaining if it's the right fourth hole. I mean, and if it's the right player, like that's what this is about, right? Like if it's the right fourth hole, if it's the right player, if it's Rory talking his way through how he's going to play this par five, I think that can be very, very entertaining. And I will give our colleagues at Sky Sports credit. They do it with a walking on-course reporter, and I think they have found a way to execute this very, very well and should be the standard that NBC, CBS, Golf Channel should take to the PGA Tour. I just think there is so much reluctance right now until it becomes the norm which I don't see it happening anytime soon. Just mic up the caddies. The easiest way to get around um, this is to mic up the caddies. That way the producer can pick and choose the audio. Everyone knows that they're ever being mic'd at all spoken with some times. of these caddies? Do you really want some of that, that nonsense going on live TV? All right. Uh, I do. And it's no different than CBS having a dozen or so boom mics on the sideline for a game. A couple of minutes after the fact, after commercial break, they cut to the audio and say, hey, here, here was some crucial uh, decision-making or what the guys were talking about on the sideline. That is not uh, too much to ask to have PJ Tour caddies mic'd up with the understanding uh, that the producers at the network would pick and choose the best and would not present them in a poor light. I don't think that's too much to ask, Chris. But if you also look at the, at the leaderboard, what, what's, what stood out here? John Rahm had a chance to John get the world number one. Even, yeah. even if he didn't win uh, a solo second, was going to be enough to get him to world number one for the first time in a Ran year. You had, you had Kyle Morikawa, tip of the cap, your boy who you said was going to tumble outside the top 25 in the world rankings. First tournament since kicking away that six-shot lead at Kapalua. Backs it up with a third-place showing 
at Torrey Pines, even with his short game and putting stroke, that is very much uh, a work in progress. Keegan Bradley continuing potentially his march to the U.S. Ryder Cup team with a second-place finish at Torrey Pines on the heels of his win last fall. At That's the a Zozo weird shout to be making only, in January. But the right. only player, Rex, the only player so far in this very young PGA Tour season who has both a win and a runner finish, Keegan Bradley. Going to be on the uh, Ryder Cup team? Uh, I, again, see, I'm not talking Ryder Cup in February. Like, I, I don't start talking pennant races in June, so no, I'm not doing Ryder Cup talk in February. Not going to do that. No, no, not, not Fair enough. Me. Fair enough. Uh, this week, uh, not a great field. We must say, not a great field of AT&T, Pebble Beach, no. headline by Jordan Spieth, Victor Hovland, Matt Fitzpatrick, and a couple other top 50 players. To me, the more intriguing event, Rex, is a Saudi International, which is now an Asian tour event, as it was back in 2022. This is essentially, I, I said it in the open to this podcast, this is like a live preseason event. I mean, all everyone's there. You got Phil, you got Brooks, you got Bryson, you have uh, Cam Smith. Uh, and you also have, Rex, some PJ Tour players, some, some card-holding members of the PJ Tour, Cameron Young, Mito Pereira, Cameron Champ, and the like. What are you most looking forward to seeing or most interested in seeing this week at the Saudi International? I don't think anyone who watched Dustin Johnson sort of plow his way through whatever that last season was for Liv Goff was going to question the idea that, oh, he's clearly one of the top five or ten players still in the game. It doesn't matter what logo he wears on his uniform. It doesn't he's matter. He's the litmus he... test. If Dustin Johnson isn't a top 50 player, the system's yeah. broken. Uh, I, I would tend to agree. And look, this is only going to sort of make that even more complicated. There are world ranking points up for grabs this week, but I don't think it will be many given the size of the field. What is interesting, you pointed out the PGA tour members who were giving conflicting event releases for this. The standard has been set. The Asian tour is a tour that's recognized by the PGA tour. So that was always going to happen. What I find fascinating, I was actually talking with two separate agents about this yesterday, that most, if not all of the players who had some sort of agreement with golf Saudi, those, they were five-year agreements which means most, if not all of them, come to an end this year. I think the, the more interesting litmus test going forward, like if a guy shows up, Cam Young being the primary example here, let's just use him. Let's, let's just call it what it is. If Cam Young shows up there next year, then yes. I would keep a really, really close eye on Cam Young because I think he is, he's interested in going to live golf. He's interested in the free money. He's interested in only playing 14 times a year. As it stands now, keep in mind where we were five years ago, or four, four years ago now. Keep in mind that... Golf was in a much different place, that live golf was still sort of this, even the people who knew about it just thought of it as something that was on the horizon and probably not to be taken too seriously. Now, it's a vastly different scenario. So if these guys re-up and do new deals, however the length of those deals are, next year will be the one you watch. You and I are discussing this on Tuesday, Tuesday record for this podcast. We're also taping a Golf Today hit. Give away the goods on that one. Into this issue a little bit further. Phil Mickelson talked to the media on Tuesday in Saudi Arabia. Rex, I'm not sure if you've seen these images of Phil Mickelson, but he said that he's down to his college weight, did not go uh, into the numbers and the specifics. But if you look at his images, it is a little bit haunting. He looks absolutely gaunt. Uh, not sure what is going on there, but he says he feels rejuvenated. He feel, says he feels energized. He said he's uh, ready and eager to put what was a quote, quote, embarrassing year behind him in 2022. He was referring to his golf, of course, and not any of the off-course extracurricular activities. Brooks Kepka also went along the usual party line saying he feels great, he feels good, and he is excited to play. <laughs> Did, didn't really have to say uh, anything other than that. I want to see Cam Smith 
play golf. I still refer to him as one of the best players in golf. Is he going to get the re- the requisite uh, sharp play competitiveness uh, under his belt before we get to the Masters and Augusta National? His course record there over the past couple of years is tremendous. And uh, to me, even though he was not named that, uh, he was the player of the year in 2022. Right, what do you think? Pebble Beach has such a weak field this year. I think it's just seven of the top 50 players in the world. Is this kind of a, a, an event you would circle for elevated status on the PGA Tour in 2024? The talk, at least right now, is that these elevated events are going to uh, rotate uh, and have uh, kind of mix and match over the years. To me, the Pebble Beach event uh, has long been one of the marquee events on the PGA Tour schedule. I understand why some players, uh, even before this whole designation and $20 million purses became uh, kind of the, the, the soup du jour, so to speak, why would they skip this event? They don't want to play with amateurs. They don't want the slow rounds. They don't want Poana Greens. They don't want to play three different courses. I understand all of that, but AT&T is also sponsoring two different events uh, on the PGA Tour schedule. This one seems ripe to elevate in 2024, uh, and, and make it more prominent than it is because this year it's unfortunately a little bit of an afterthought. I think it has to be. As you pointed out, AT&T has been a dedicated tour sponsor for a long time. The former CEO used to be on the policy board, so he has been involved in these conversations. I will say, however, that it would have to be some sort of rotational thing because they probably are going to add however many more, one, two, three more elevated events. But we're starting to reach diminishing returns. We're already having conversations about which one of the designated events are the top players going to miss. I think we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about Quail Hollow. That seems to be the one that most guys are circling on the calendar, saying, that, yeah, that, that one just doesn't fit into the schedule. Nothing against shocking. Quail Hollow. It's shocking. Nothing against, no, no, it's, it's a schedule issue. This is nothing I, I understand, but it's just like, boy, that's a tough one to miss. But but look at it. I mean, let's look at it. I think Jordan Spieth is probably the best example here. That Here's a Dallas Scotty. guy. He's going to – and Scotty. These are Dallas guys. They're, they want to play the Nelson. Zeltors. They want to play Colonial. And now you factor in Memorial and the PGA Championship on the back end of those. They're not going to play five, six weeks in a row. They're just not going to do it. And what you're talking about here, the penalty for not playing – by my understanding is it's going to be some sort of fractional penalty about whatever your pit money was going to be. Most players are going to look at their schedule and probably make the trade off of this is going to cost me $200,000 or $300,000. Yeah. I want the week off. I need to be ready for the PGA. I want to be ready. I want to play colonial, whatever the case may be. However, I think you can see some sort of rotation. Let's say for example, that Phoenix and and Pebble reach some sort of agreement. And I think, Probably AT&T and Waste Management, the two sponsors that we're talking about, would probably like that, that they're going to rotate it every other year. That way you don't have to pay this bill, and you still end up every other year getting a really, really good field. That seems to me a more likely scenario. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. I'm very curious to see how it goes with two uh, tournaments being designated, elevate events, whatever you want to call it, $20 million purses, the week after major championships with both the RBC Heritage following the Masters and the Travelers Championship following the U.S. Open on the other coast. It's, uh, I'll be very interested to see how those go, what the player reaction is uh, when they usually have the week after a major championship to debrief and decompress after what is a very fraught week being in contention. So that's certainly uh, something that bears watching this week. Rex, there is no football to watch this week. This is exactly why I said that there should have the Waste Management Phoenix Open this week, have the tour's biggest party all to itself with all the attention on Saturday and Sunday. Alas, 
uh, that is still under review uh, per sources. Uh, inside a PJ no, Tour, not. of course, no, no it absolutely not. is not. My uh, outdoor kitchen still under construction. I've been told it will be available for Super Bowl weekend. We have since sent out invitations, about 15 to 20 of our friends to break in the new thing. So mine's Other- the mail? No? Yes. Uh, yes. You're supposed you're supposed to be coming up for some hashtag content uh, sometime the next month that we will film in the backyard. Details of which still need to be ironed out. Sponsors, please, love of God, hit Jump us up. On. What do you got? What do you got cracking this weekend? I, I want to go back to two days ago because I sent you a picture of my not black stone. I was making smash burgers and I oh, just kind of had a griddle plate. And it's it it was it works so fine, janky. but but your your response was so like that just makes me sad. Like it, it here's the problem: it's so small, I could only make two. And here's the deal: like everyone in my house loves smash burgers. Like they love the way I do them. They love the way they taste. Like it's like one of the things that everyone in my house looks forward to. And yet again, I've pointed this out numerous times. The bunk mate doesn't listen to this. I wish he did. Apparently the Blackstone's hanging on the wall outside and he's actually called a TV. <laughs> because, because the six TVs you already have were not enough. You don't even watch TV in the bedroom and yet you now have one yeah. uh, specifically for the bunk mate. I mean, that was I like to hang was, a Blackstone on the wall and see what she thinks about that. It was sad. It was pathetic. Uh, it was embarrassing as a man uh, that you were not uh, the owner wow. of, of a black son. It was, it was actually it was actually funny. Last night I was thinking of you. Last night, my wife and I were going over the menu that we want to have for the Super Bowl party. I've, everyone obviously You're brings something. The menu. It's a little bit of an interesting time, right? Like you think the game's going to start at six twenty. People come over at five, leave at eleven. They're expecting some hot food. I have never, to be honest with you, ever cooked for like twenty people. So I'm a little bit nervous about how you'd present. Uh, that much food, keep it hot, keep everyone satiated. But you know what we're going to make? Because something that's quick, something Pull that's pork. easy, something that everyone loves. Pull pork. No smash, smash burgers. burgers. Of course. Because you have a grill that you can make 50 smash burgers. Yeah. Yes. Because we have a Blackstone. It's built into the outdoor kitchen. You can fire up a smash burger in six minutes, make it absolutely delicious. So, yes. No FOMO burgers. there on my, my case at all. Yeah. It's, no, it's absolutely. Cool. I'm happy for I you. I really am. I'm going to send you videos. I'm going to send you nice. pictures. Please I'm going to do a live stream. Uh, send it right to you. So that'll definitely mm. be happening on Super Bowl. I weekend. will actually be in Phoenix during the Super Bowl partying myself. So you can save your snappies because I'll be firing right back at you. Nope. You'll be pounding out 250 word blogs that no one's going to be reading on Super Bowl Sunday because <laughs> the PGA Tour's biggest party, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, should not be up against the Super Bowl. They no one it. is they going like to it. read You're that. Wrong. No one is going to read that on Super Bowl. No Sunday. one is going to read it. No, no one is going to read it. However, I like the way they lean into the party. Like I am looking forward to being there on Sunday because they, they, they get the golf out of the way, not to sort of dismiss what we do and what we cover, but it's, it's pregame. This is the tailgate. You go to TPC Scottsdale, you tailgate, you maybe watch a little bit of golf, you, you have a couple of libations, and then you move on to the big game. Yes. And that's a problem because you could just have the, the big game. You, you have an entire but the party. the Thunderbirds love it. I, I've talked with the executive they director, Chance, Chance Cosby. He, he loves it. They, they love the way they, they're having three separate concerts next week. I mean, they have turned have this set, into a very, very good party. Ones. Trust me when I tell you, they, they have sort of perfected this. They know exactly what they're getting. Perfect. They look forward to this. They actually changed dates to, get, to make sure that they were in town for the Super Bowl the same week as the Super Bowl. And I'm sure the players uh, who are looking at Airbnbs costing like $50,000 uh, are, are lamenting the decision by the Thunderbirds. Please, for the love of God, just have this opposite the tour. No, they don't want the to bye week. stop. Yes. 
We have I'm to gonna have chance on the pod next week, and then you two can debate this because he will tell you exactly. He will give you actually the finances. He'll talk about how it's so much more successful to do it next week during the Super Bowl than it would be if they switch with Pebble or whoever else to avoid that limelight. How would he know? It's never been opposite the tour's bye week, or the, the, excuse me, the Super Bowl bye week. He's never had it opposite. Yes, everyone else is wrong. You're right. Just stop. Why? <laughs> yes, just stop. That's, a, that's exactly that's a, that should that should be our tagline for the pod. <laughs> Hashtag everyone else is wrong. Sign. Kisses laugh. (laughs) That's going to do it for this edition of the Golf Channel podcast with Rex and Laugh. He'll be, as he mentioned, at Phoenix next week. I'll be on a covert mission. I'll have to blur my location because I'm not at liberty to say where I will be the following week. However, I can say I'll be at Riviera. Rex, funny story. Uh, Pro-Am. I got an email from a PR agency asking if I wanted to be uh, a participant in a Pro-Am uh, along with uh, one of our other senior writers uh, at Golf Pass. And I said, of course. Uh, happy that you think of me. He said, perfect. I'll get back to you. Uh, a week later, email at about 6 o'clock yesterday. I got an email saying, uh, sorry, went in another direction with the media spot. I said, no problem. Uh, do you mind sharing what the opportunity was going to be? He said, sure. It was going to be in the Genesis Invitational Pro-Am. I thought this was going to be like some Epson tour event. I thought it was going to be in like Puerto Rico. I thought it could have been like something across the pond. No, it was one of my dream courses. Bucket list course is Riviera. I absolutely love covering the tournament. What was the I different would... direction they went? Just out of curiosity. Can, can you Clearly say? another media member with hashtag more clout. Uh, or they just decided why would we they get didn't say media that. member. They didn't say that. Someone famous. Did they really? Is that, that the way it went? It's he Bob Herrick, isn't it? He Bob Herrick got the spot, didn't he? Did. He just got that Phil exclusive, uh, which I believe was his third or fourth uh, mm-hmm. since he went over to live. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to be I'm going to be scouring the pro-am list uh, on Wednesday. of Genesis. You had to work anyway. Wednesday, you couldn't have played in the pro-am. I could have done one of those self-serving like what it was like to tee it up with the pros type story that we see uh, ever, uh, ever. Tens so of people would have read that. Uh, probably just as many as will be reading your Genesis or excuse me, your Phoenix Open coverage on Super Bowl Sunday. Just had to slip that story in there. Uh, mm. Shout out to the PR agency that crushed my dreams. Let's get to it for this edition. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>